Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we catch up with executive editor of Soccer America, Mike Wojtola. He's a friend of the show, and uh, Mike always has his finger on the pulse of what's happening, what's uh, what's going on in the soccer world. And as always, there is a lot going on. But before we get going on OTB, gentlemen, I want to find out what are you over today on Over the Ball? Well, I'm going to start here. And uh, I'm over the United States self-centered view of the world of sports. And what I mean by <laughs> that is, you know, baseball is coming here. The NBA is coming and there's just no acknowledgement that the, for the past four or five weeks or whatever it's been, soccer has been back in Germany and Italy and Spain and in England. And in fact, we could be learning a lot from what they've been doing there. And on top of that, soccer has been back in, uh, in terms of MLS down in Orlando in the bubble that uh, never gets mentioned because just the NBA is mentioned. So again, I just, I, I wish Americans, we would just get out of our own heads occasionally and acknowledge that there's actually stuff going on outside of our country. And I think they took a lot of tips from what was going on overseas, what worked and what didn't work and how it was happening. But you have to remember, Grail, uh, well, not our listeners, but I most Americans, coming on. <laughs> but most Americans feel or think that uh, Europe is like an excellent country. You know, they don't know that there's there's different countries and various machinations going on and all kinds of soccer going on over there. I mean, Sam, not, what are you over? So just to build off that, not only is there soccer going on here, but I watched a USL game the other night up in Hartford that had fans. So I don't know how yeah, good Yeah, what was that? How did they get is. away with that? How did know. they get away with that? I, 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 hope I they really were separated. Well, the one it's, thing was like well, some of those leagues is you're just because of lack of fan support, it's. I know in my pro career, everybody was socially distanced because there's no crowds. Well, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if it was just a sparse crowd or people were being kind of spread out. But uh, yeah. And it, that may be very risky and foolish. But, I mean, yeah, there's soccer going on with fans here. So, I don't know. Still, that's worth uh, pointing out, too. It's so bizarre. You know, like, we've finally gotten used to soccer without fans and the sound being pumped in. And I've gotten used to it. And you know what? I actually think whoever's DJing it, you know, with the sound effects are actually getting better because in the beginning, even in the premier league, they were horrible. It just didn't work. And now they're kind of, they're a little bit more on it. They've got more sounds there. So, uh, so, uh, all right. So what are you over Sam? Anyway, I'm over this week. Um, the cups in Europe, not really meaning anything anymore. Mm. Um, I, you know, there's stuff to play for in all these leagues up until the last day. But, you know, when the title is decided in Liverpool's case, you know, seven weeks before the end of the season, uh, you know, Juventus will probably win the Serie A today. So that'll be with four games to go. Um, I, I like the idea of having one big, you know, important game at the end of the season that really means something. And, you know, I know it has a symbolic value, but I think there should be a route to the Champions League if you win your domestic cup. And I think that would make everything a lot more exciting. So that's sort fine. of, you know, MLS has that. I mean, if you win, you know, you have the best team of the year and then you have the team that wins a championship. So there's two there. You mean that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, so you know how you have like the super cups at the beginning of the seasons, whether it's the yeah. chair 
field or whatever. Yeah. Like maybe that game is worth a spot in the Champions League. I just I feel like the cup has become this kind of symbolic, like old fashioned thing that no one really yeah. puts all their effort into. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's no. I mean, I look, FA Cup. Yeah. You know, when I was in college, was just huge, man. The yeah, FA Cup was the big, big game. So I mean, so lost what a lot we of have, luster. We have Chelsea and Man United in the FA Cup final. Oh, sorry, Chelsea and Arsenal, right? Yes, the FA yes. Cup final. So how yes. great would it be if you know if Arsenal won, they you know grabbed Chelsea's spot in the Champions? I don't know. Just yeah, but, yeah, but I, yeah, wow. I, I wow, you're like, talking to a Chelsea fan with Graham. No, no, by no, the way. no. It's not even that. I still like top four because it's like your body of work over an entire season to yeah. qualify. Mm-hmm. for it I, I i'm with you though sam i wish the fa cup was as big as it was when i lived in england because winning the double which mm-hmm. was winning the league in the fa cup was considered huge you know yeah. even the league cup had some status which it has yeah. zero well now it seems to only matter if you win the double right it's sort of like this yes. carry on top but on its own yeah. it's kind of like well no there. you're right i mean it's i mean the fa cup has really lost its, its luster which is too bad i mean you know, Arsenal is going for their, I think it's their 14th FA yeah, Cup. Yeah, they great and success, they, Arsenal. They've been in four of seven. That's always been the grumble, though, from Arsenal supporters, is they can't do anything in the league and they keep yeah. winning hardware. Well, it's like but they're not the, winning the meaningful it's hardware. It's like the NIT, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. The NITs, yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, I'm over this whole COVID situation. Everybody's put their lives on hold waiting for this to be over. And it's, it's not, it's our life right now. And you got to get, I've been, uh, I'm on the road and if I had one more of my friends go, uh, yeah, I'm packing on the pounds, calling it the COVID-19. It's like, all right, there's a pandemic. There's no reason for you to eat and drink till your body <laughs> blows up, blows up like a tick. All right. So everybody's using that as an excuse. I'm like, you still go for your walks. My one buddy's blown up like a tick, and he's like, just say it's the COVID-19. I'm like, no, it's you, you lazy bastard. So Yeah, uh, I so mean, being, being sedentary is not – I mean, unless you're under some kind of order, right, where you're quarantined. Right. Other than that, you would think you'd want to get out. I don't know about you guys, but I get restless. Like, I want to go out and exercise. Yeah, right. for sure. Right. Yeah. So, all right. So, hey, I want to start off today a little bit just quickly talk – domestically because uh you know we're having uh, mike Wojtola on from soccer america it was a great article in soccer america from paul kennedy about uh, his interview with greg berhalter and i mean i thought like geez we haven't thought about the national team in a while and it's really what i love to talk about more than anything uh it, and so we see pulisic kind of put on a clinic the other day against liverpool beautiful goal beautiful assist uh so we've got him coming back to the national team eventually looks like october will be the first game, the first time to get together, maybe. Uh, Zach Steffen's headed to Man City, so he's probably the starting keeper now. But I said we're used to uh, players coming in and out and sort of bleeding in and out, uh, you know, sort of dovetail into the team and out. I think we're going to see some big changes with a lot of these young guys who are having some impact, you know, with their club teams. I think we're going to have a real new look, young national team. But to, to clarify, you mean Stefan will be the starter for the U.S., not – For the U.S., yeah. He won't be starting. Yeah. But okay. I, th- I think I think actually – I don't know how much playing time he's going to get, uh, but I think it will be good for him to be in that client, climate and that sort of play out of the back situation that they probably – the way they play in the games, they must play in practice, you know, for Pep. So I think it will be invaluable for, for Zach. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the cups that we were just talking about, one good thing about England and a team like Man City is they're playing in about five competitions every season. So there are a lot of 
you know, I don't like to call them this, but sort of second tier games that you yeah. know, maybe a backup keeper gets a shot in. So, you know, Definitely. I think I think if he does a year there as a backup, it's not a terrible idea. Yeah, Grail? He's yeah. I mean, he's again. I think the challenge, uh, and we'll talk to Mike about this when he's on. The challenge is for any of these top flight U.S. players to go from situations where you're playing with talent that is so superior, and then you're coming to your own national team and you're almost having to adapt to the new players around you because you can't, you just can't do the same things you do with your right. club players because you're just thinking on a different level. They're thinking on a different level. Well, it's the old thing as a player, you know, you, you're yeah. a good player at what you do and you're playing a role and then either you move up or down and you suddenly are asked to do different things that you're not, ex that you don't generally do. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think you also guys, you'll relate to this. I think you play to the level of the people around you and, you know, Polisic, I think, has really stepped up his game because he's playing with really good players and he's training hard and he's doing all those things. But it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a little bit of a come down. You know? well, and I, I think all of us saw his frustration the last time he played with the national team. The yeah. intensity was not there. The fire was not there, which is, you know, something we need to be critical about and be on top of them uh, with. You know, it's funny, though. So they've been dormant for five months, the national teams, and there's no game scheduled till October. Burhalter also made a, an interesting point. He said that playing in empty stadiums for qualifiers would actually be an advantage because of the hostile environments, you know, in Central America. I, I got to agree was, with that, don't I, you guys? I, I thought that was the most astute observation I've ever heard Burhalter make. I mean, right. and no, wow. honestly, I mean, no, I mean, because you go into Central America and they are throwing all sorts of stuff at you. Oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's loud and there's noise and it's. And I it's, mean, it's, ne never mind Central America. We've had games in New Jersey against Costa yeah. Rica where it's been 90% Costa Ricans in the stands. So, right. Right, yeah, it's the old, yeah. the old, the ba Ziploc bags of urine and uh, batteries come flying out of the stands. Yeah, it's always a good time. Except, no, I, 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 I also think, just funny on that point, I, I do think, uh, especially for younger players, uh, that takes away some of the pressure too. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, because you're not in the cauldron, you're not hearing the fan. You know, uh, as you know, you're playing a big game. Everything speeds up anyway. But then if you're in kind of a, a challenging environment it just makes it worse so to have no fans i think is a real advantage for a young team yeah, most of the guys you know they they say once you get you're playing a couple of minutes you kind of forget what's out there and i said it's always that should be the way you concentrate yeah. so much you're so focused that you forget you know the extemporaneous noise that's happening around you but it's tough when you know a battery hits you in the head. You're suddenly like, oh, hey, there are people up there, aren't they? Hey, Sam, so I wanted to ask you this. this uh, I didn't get a chance to read it, but this New York Times article about changing some sports rules. I, uh, you know, Because for me, it's always interesting. Uh, you know, like People would tell me that don't play soccer. They would tell me what's wrong with the game and how you can improve it. And I'm always oh, like, yeah. oh, shut up. You know, yeah, no offsides. Bigger, bigger, bigger goals. goals. Bigger yeah, goals. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. I never want to hear it. So I'm very interested because I also had a Brazilian – guy tell me what was wrong with american baseball and i'm like Wait, have you ever watched like he goes i watched one game i'm like oh so you, got, you watched one game and you're you've got ways to improve it so so i wanted you know i wanted to hear what your thoughts were so yeah so the, so the new york times editors have sort of taken this idea of the pandemic being a time to sort of hit the pause and potentially reset button on a lot of sports and you know yeah. maybe implement some changes that could help them going forward make them more exciting, more watchable. Um, they, so they do every sport. So baseball is in here as well. But um, I'm just going to 
look at the soccer ones. I just thought I'd get your take on them, um, see what you guys think. So uh, number one is you're only offside if your whole body is offside. So no longer can you be offside by a fingernail or a toe or because of your eye. All right. Hey, not bad. Well, that, not that's bad. fine as long as that's the de facto rule and you've got VAR to back up that it's the entire body. Not fine. bad, though, guys. I, I like mean, that not, one, huh? I mean, honestly, with VAR, to me, it's just like come up with what appendage it is that needs to be past the line. And mm -hmm. if that's the thing, fine. So if it's oh, a whole man. body, I have no problem with it. That's fine. If I was naked, I'd be off sides at half field. That would be the problem. <laughs> See this? <laughs> that's, oh, boy. That's, All right. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, Sam, the, Sam, save let us. The, let the kids figure out what I'm talking about there. Number two. Right, Sam, Sam. Number two. I don't think you guys will like this one, but the scoreboard clock is the clock. No more of the no. where the referee no. gets to be the only one in the stadium who knows how much time is left. No, because the scoreboard doesn't – it doesn't – take into account injuries and stoppages yeah. and all okay. sorts of things. Okay, but let, let me just finish. Or reduce matches to an hour, but stop the clock when the ball is off the field. Oh, no. You mean instead of 90 minutes? Well, the idea, like when games have been looked at and studied, there is only about 60 minutes of play that happens. Yeah. So but first of all, as opposed to American football yeah, where there's no, like yeah, four minutes. Exactly. Yeah, baseball, baseball has a problem with the length of the game. Soccer is 90 minutes and plus four minutes. But you know? I think, I think I mean, if, you don't, if you don't play the game, you don't realize, you know, at the 85th minute, the guy who rolls around and holds his leg, and, and if the clock is still running, but you stop the clock, they're wasting time. Oh so the referee, in, in, in a way, it's sort of like – People would say if you have the ball and you're at 90 minutes and you're through injury time and everything, uh, no, you got to wait till the ball's cleared before the game's over. You've defended for 90 minutes. You got to defend for another minute or two. That's I, the least of my concern. Yeah. Soccer to me is the best bang for your buck in sports. I mean, for, for the time it takes, you're getting incredible action All in right. a short period of time. So All I right. like the first one. Don't yeah. okay. and I don't on like the, the second one. one. Number three, <laughs> adopt an orange card an orange card comes into play for fouls no, that are too serious for a mere yellow but not quite so bad that they want no. the expulsion no yellow well, what, what good yellow, is that? Red. So, yellow red bye all right but you know grail for the sake of discussion what what would a what would a, an orange one be if you get Ooh. one or two orange you're out because two yellows you're out right so what would it uh, be? Well, I guess it would go to three yellows and then maybe an orange and a yellow. So an orange oh, God, is I like wish... a an orange is really like a yellow traffic light. Okay, all right. So something. sorry. So they add they come the orange also comes with a ten minute like penalty box. No, no, no. Oh well, uh, that's interesting. Play short for ten minutes after a bad foul, no, so you don't throw the player out. Now that's something to look at. I think. Um, he's got like I like a... I like penalties in hockey. I like guys going off for two minutes or four minutes. That makes sense. I don't want guys coming on and off the pitch. First of all, we got the sub, the new subs rule where we have guys coming on and off the pitch. Yeah, but that's temporary. That's temporary. So, <laughs> okay. um, you know, I'm not okay. a fan. what else, Sam? Next up, head injury substitutes. Yes. Uh, so yeah. basically yeah. any player with a head injury uh, can be subbed for a proper medical assessment. So you can, this is what they're saying is you can put a guy in. Yes. while the guy who had the head injury is getting monitored. He gets 10 minutes. If the doctor clears the player, you swap him. Otherwise, the manager decides which player gets to continue. I think that's great. And I, by the way, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I think they've totally gone backwards on protocols because I've seen in the last three weekends guys yeah. do clash of heads, and there's nobody even coming out there. To, the guy's just like waving off the medical staff, 
and staying in the game. So that's one thing I agree with Twelman on is that so, that's got to be better. How about this? How about the I like substitute? That idea. How about the substitute? Uh, the injury substitution person has to be written down before the game starts. So it's not like uh, a, a tactical change where you have a, just like a sort of a utility midfielder comes in and plays. Uh, yeah, you know, but you're going to. Yeah, you don't want to make a tactical cho- change. No, right? but you're going to have to. But if you lose your center back, you're going to have to replace him with somebody who can play center back. You're not going to back, right? So actually, I think it works well. So Sam, it doesn't really count as a as a sub per se. I don't right. think it counts as a sub. Yeah, right. I think yes, it's, it's a great it's idea. Temporary sub. That's a good one because they do need to start looking at you know concussions closer. And it's, Man, I've uh, seen some nasty ones like Harry Maguire like in the last three games has had a clash of heads and he looks foggy and then they you know then the next thing you know game on you know, he doesn't playing. even come off the pitch yeah so we got a lot to get to before we Wait, get to Mike so uh, I got the last uh, oh sorry bro no no worries uh, okay so back up the penalty kick so in most leagues PKs are successful about 75 percent of the time back them up so they're roughly a 50-50 proposition thoughts uh, nice. I would I don't like that one I like because, the more they are yeah, because I think it's a it's a mind game already, um, and I think if you just made everybody play by the rules with the PKs, the goalie can't move before, you know. Um, you know, it's interesting too, Sam. I'd love to look at this. I feel like going back to my youth when I was, you know, watching. Uh, it's going, it's going no, back a long time. No, right. Now, watching the Premier League, ninety percent of penalties were converted. Mm-hmm. They, they right. it was it was an, it was like a free throw in basketball. It was automatic. I think nowadays actually more penalties are missed either by better goalkeeping and, and, and also just research and technology, knowing in advance what tendencies are, mm. which I don't think were nearly as well researched back then. But I, I, I think it's fine. All right. That's all, right. all I got. That's it's yeah, that's a lot, man. I like that. Uh, yeah. you know what? I think I'm 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 for two out of the five, I think. So that's that's more than I thought I would be for. Yeah. Uh, Grail. Making the, I'm glad nobody's making the goal bigger, by the way. That's always yeah, right. one of my exactly. favorites. Or the ball bigger. I've heard that one too. I'm like, what? Oh, come ball on. bigger. <laughs> um, yeah, so guys can head it more easily. I'm like, okay. If uh, the ball's bigger, it's less space to fit in the goal. Right. Uh, <laughs> FA Cup, Grail. What did you think? Yeah, no. So it's kind of we talked at the the opener. We got uh, we've got a Chelsea Arsenal all London final, uh, and um, I will just say this one thing: in Chelsea beat Man United three one, and David De Gea, David De Gea led in two of the worst goals. Not like him. He's I've not ever seen he was. a top flight <laughs> keeper. I mean, I felt for him because I like David De Gea, and it was just. The first one to Giroud was bad. The second one to Mount was just, you know, from distance. And it just went under his body. I mean, it was just terrible. It cost him the game. I mean, he single-handedly cost United the match. And uh, but, he, but I like the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer put him back in to play yesterday against um, West Ham. He was well, back You have in. to after your yeah, I agree. A nightmare, and the, and the, and the guy's especially been at his great. level. The guy's been great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you guys enjoyed the Liverpool-Chelsea game. Did you watch that, Sam? I know Grail did. No, I didn't see that. You did yeah. not. You old curmudgeon waiting for Serie A to come on. No, it was, it was, it was great. You know, Liverpool was uh, – Liverpool, I mean, 5-3. You know, they, they were playing their usual attacking stuff. Chelsea 
you know, as we mentioned, Pulisic came on and made a real difference. But uh, Chelsea's got real problems on defense and a goalkeeper. And if it, with all these new players coming in like Werner and Zayek and stuff, if they don't bolster their defense with like two solid center backs and a reliable keeper, doesn't matter how great they are offensively. That's, that's a- that's a tall order. They've given I mean, up. 50, they've given up fifty-four goals this season, and Keppa has allowed forty-seven goals in thirty-three matches. He's well, here been, at the, he's very like, suspect. Well, here at the end of the day, I, it, what makes the Premier League so exciting is you know people are fighting for a Champions League berth, and they're fighting for against relegation, and so it it just yeah. makes it really exciting and really fun to watch. Teams that haven't played well all year are suddenly like playing out of their minds for every Yeah, ball. so it all so funny, it all comes down to Sunday and uh, for the top four and for relegation. And you've got uh, Man United playing Leicester, and they need to draw to uh, basically guarantee top four. And Chelsea play Wolves at Stamford Bridge, and they have to at least draw. And then Leicester will be the odd team out. They would end up in fifth place. And then in the relegation zone, You've, Norwich has already gone down. Bournemouth is probably most inclined to go down, but then you got uh, Aston Villa uh, and Watford that are all those games matter. So it should be. And Nigel Sunday Pearson and loses another game, another job. My God, you know I, I always get annoyed because if Bob Bradley was never even given a chance there, somebody like Nigel Pearson, but, what's but, his, his fifth job in? Yeah, in but Flinny, this is the thing. This is the thing making no sense. Their owner Gino uh, Pazzo, who's this Pazzo. crazy Italian guy. Pazzo. Excuse me, Sam. But so, so anyway, you know, with two games remaining, I mean, Pearson came in. He got them three points clear of the relegation zone. Then they had a bad match, you know, the third, their third to last match, and he fires him with two matches to go. He brings in the interim manager, and um, I think his name was Hensley. Uh, it's uh, Mullen, and um, in any case, they come out and they promptly lose four nil to uh, Man City. So I'm like, well, that was, yeah, Hayden Mullins is the interim guy. I'm like, well, what did that accomplish? Nothing. You know what's interesting about Pozzo is he also owns Udinese in Italy, which are kind of, you know, kind of considered one of the best run teams in the country. I mean, they're not, they're never really at the top of the table, but they're always very consistent. Yeah. So it's curious to me that he- Yeah, and with Watford, I mean, they've gone through I mean, just like manager after manager after manager. And at some point, I don't know. I just think you need to oh, stick. Eventually, with you're going to get the job, Grail. That's how many I people have, are Well, I, I didn't want to break this news on over the ball, but I have been in discussions with them. And if I can't do next <laughs> week's show, you'll know why. I'll know why. You're, either, you're yeah. back on the pitch. <laughs> Guys, I think you both have a connection to uh, Leeds United. And they're, they're up for the first time in 16 years. Uh, pretty dominant in the 70s under Don Revy. What, uh, what do you think? Go for it, Sam. Go for it, Sam. Um, yeah, well, I, I owe quite a lot to Leeds, actually, um, in terms of my soccer fandom and getting into European soccer. Uh, their 2000-2001 their team was really what got me hooked on, you know, Champions League and sort of taught me about how European soccer worked. That was the first year I can really remember Champions League being on ESPN regularly. Um, I mean, I remember I would, you know, put in a VHS cassette in the morning and, you know, record the games, come back, watch them, like trade them with my friends. I mean, it was 
it's a different time in terms of you know what you were able to uh, watch. But um, we hearken back to a time of the VCR. Flitty's going to start talking about the A track. A track, a reel to reel. I mean, with, they had Alan Smith, Mark Viduka, Harry Kuehl, Rio Ferdinand, Lee Boyer. I mean, a lot of you know. Yeah, yeah. Legends, and uh, I'd just been to England on a school trip the year before, so I was kind of that was the first time I'd been to Europe, and this was sort of my my great soccer awakening. Um, you know, it all fell apart when I actually moved to the UK for a year. But, you know, you, <laughs> you got to do what you can. And you didn't like them anymore? You, you didn't follow Leeds? Well, once I got on the ground, it was a different story. Different story, yeah. Well, no, but Sam, Sam, the fact that you got exposed to such a uh, uh, legendary football club up in Yorkshire, which is not, you know, it's a lot of people go to matches, right? And they go to matches in London or whatever. You went to Leeds United, which just has an amazing history with Don Revy. And in the early 70s, when I lived in England, Leeds United were hated. They were despised because they were so good and they were so cocky. And they had a couple players on their team that you just wanted to bury a fist in their faces. Wow. But they were, but, no, but they were great. And they were like, as a Chelsea supporter, they were our number one rival. And, and then they, you know, and then, of course, that led to after Don Revy left, Brian Clough came in briefly. The film The Damned United was Damn built United. on that whole thing. And then they just kind of, you know, their their history changed a lot in the interim. So, I, you know, I think it's great that they're back in the Premier League. I think it's really good for the league. And I love the album Live at Leeds by The Who. So that great was, fans. Uh, great fans. Ellen's Road is one of the, one of the uh, best stadiums in the UK, period. Hey, so uh, we got to go. We got Mike coming up, but I... I want to touch on Syria. Uh, Sam, what's, uh, what's happening? Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Juve can and likely will win the Serie A title this afternoon um, mm-hmm. against Udinese. Um, I guess the most interesting story at this point is the goal scoring race. Um, and Ronaldo and Chido Immobile are both tied with identical scoring records, 30 goals and 12 of which have been penalties. Um, Although I, I do think, you know, this year has been a little inflated because there have been already 170 penalties awarded. Um, the previous record was 140 set back in the uh, wow. 1949. Um, so, you know, the use of VAR and the new handball rule has really seen an explosion of, uh, of penalty kicks. So, uh, but yeah, for context, the 30 goal mark has only been reached. Um, tw- uh, sorry, this will be only the third time in the last 60 years that someone in Serie A has scored 30 goals and they've both done it. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of eyes on that. As the- and then, all, and then also, Sam, the fir- Ronaldo was the first, the, the quickest to fifty goals of anybody uh, since Shevchenko. Shevchenko, I guess, had held the record. Mm-hmm. It took him, I think, sixty-eight matches mm-hmm. to score fifty goals. And yeah. uh, so Ronaldo, I mean, you can't argue with what the production. No, he's been really good. And uh, I, in fact, have another stat that is part of the quiz question that will come up later. Oh, excellent. And, okay, yeah, we got to get to that. that. So, yeah. hey, you know, so you're talking about goals, Ronaldo scoring. Uh, they dropped the Bell and Door this year. They're not going to award it. And I feel bad for uh, Lewandowski. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know if he definitely would have won. I, I would have voted for him. But um, yeah. Really, France football saying it's just this year has been too chaotic and, you know, they didn't want to give someone the trophy with a huge asterisk next to it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see any reason not to have it. I mean, I, I would have it. I mean, yeah. the, the season, this season, other than uh, obviously league, league one in France didn't finish, but every other league 
finished and it just feels i guess they're going to pick a dream team or something is their uh backup plan so yeah they're gonna boy, they're boy that boy players. that must that must feel great if you're Lewandowski. great i made the dream team <laughs> yeah. yeah too bad Speaking uh, of, sorry just to to uh build off that tomorrow is actually the french cup final um there's been no competitive games in france since march but they're coming back to play the final um, Friday afternoon, and there'll be 5,000 fans there. Um, and PSG's already played a couple of friendlies building up to this. Um, where they that is a recipe for injury. That is a recipe well, for injury. Yeah, because PSG is yeah. still in Champions League, too. So they've yeah. got to It's just stay. interesting that they shut down their league entirely, and now here they are. I think playing. in hindsight they regret that, don't you, Sam? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. So. It was the prime minister, though, right? I mean, that was really they, a national decision, yeah. um, country decision that affected, ended up affecting soccer yeah the french surrendered too quickly what are the odds all right their season um all right and then la liga real madrid cruised to their 34th league title 34th title i mean they just uh god barcelona wilted they just absolutely wilted and messi's yeah. i love messi's quote after their second to last match they lost 2-1 to osuna and he said, we've been a weak and inconsistent team that is too easily beaten for intensity and motivation. If that is not a statement that is going to lead to major changes. There's, there's the trouble in Whoville. There's trouble in Whoville, man. I'll but they're still that. in Champions League, you know, and they've got the leg and they've got a, they've, they've got Napoli, right, Sam? So they've, so they've yeah, got no easy path. Yeah, well, they're, they're leading going into the second leg. I mean, yeah. They'll probably qualify. Yeah. All right, guys. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, we could go on forever. We have some MLS stuff and I don't know. It's a, it's endless, but I want to get to uh, our guy, uh, our guy Mike Boitolo. We'll ask him about MLS and about the national team and, uh, and all things soccer. All right, so you're listening to Over the Ball, and we'll be back right after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball is the executive editor at Soccer America, a friend of ours here at the show, Mr. Mike Oitola. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good to, good to be with you guys again. Yeah, so a lot of football on the air, soccer, uh, the only sport around really right now that's, uh, that's up and running. You wouldn't be able to tell it. MLS coverage is so poor, but uh, they're down there in the bubble. Um, how do you rate it so far? The MLS, uh, you know, back uh, is back tourney thus far. I think it's pretty good. I'm, I mean, I've been enjoying it. Um, I, it was a slow start, uh, low scoring games in the beginning, and then um, you had some fantastic games. Um, you know, it was a uh, even though the start was slow, I thought that the uh, the demonstrations related to Black Lives Matter were were fantastic yeah. but they were moving i thought they were important um everybody was on board with that um in a very good way i thought and uh, the games recently i've enjoyed you know you've got some pretty you know some surprises cincinnati doing pretty well um you know atlanta united completely collapsing i can't believe frank De you know they should never have hired in the first place frank de boer and i i can't believe they don't fire him already totally different style than tata you know um and yeah, I mean, I think we talked about that on this show, Mike, with you about how you didn't think it was going to be a good fit. And sure enough, it doesn't seem to be one. Do you, do you think he's, his days are numbered? 
Well, they should be. I mean, you know, before he was hired by Atlanta, he had failed miserably at Crystal Palace and 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 uh, Inter Milan. I mean, mm-hmm. how long did he last at Crystal Palace? Like three months. Yeah. You know, unbelievable. How it didn't make any sense. Why would you hire a guy that just failed miserably at his last two clubs? Um, well, that happens he, in the Premier League all the time with like Nigel Pearson's losing another job. You know, that's it gets me. It irks I, me because well, it's even worse though because he, you know, he, he failed so miserably. And if you did a little background uh, work, you would have found out that uh, you know just how miserable people who were around him felt about how the way he ran a club. And um, coming into Atlanta, where he was taking over one of the best teams ever. Obviously, they had some personnel changes, but his style is certainly not the type of uh, style that is suitable for the, the Latin type of soccer that Atlanta United mm-hmm. was playing. So, um, you know, that's something that's happening there. You also have the, uh, <laughs> the start that uh, David Beckham's team is not, I think they set a record for worst. Hey, hey, you know what that reminds me of you guys? It's like, uh, they still don't have a stadium. It's like, you remember the Chevy shovel. Chase? The shovel remember? is still in the ground, Flutie. You remember the old Chevy Chase bit on Saturday Night Live? He's like, Generalissimo Franco is still dead. Yeah. It was yeah. like, his story never changes. They just, like, for years, they're starting in Miami. When we were at Sirius XMFC, yeah. we were talking about Miami. They were, breaking, they were breaking ground, like, five years ago in an, in an empty lot somewhere in Miami, but it never became the location. So, yeah. yeah, no, and, and and the project that they had in mind was promising. It was gonna, uh, it was a little controversial. It was gonna get rid of a golf course, which I'm fine with, um, but it was gonna also include some uh, mass transportation improvements. It's it's a it's a bummer that that's on hold. I should also mention the earthquakes. So they've been fun to watch. Um, that's been an exciting team. Uh, that you know, good soccer there. Um, that's your hometown team. Yeah, you know, you got the uh, coach Almeida who brought a a tough style to play. He was, was into this whole man on man everywhere, which sounded to me like it was going to be a disaster. I wasn't sure if the players were going to buy into him. You know, he, he's a God in Latin America. And I thought that maybe it'd be a tough sell for him to convince, uh, you know, some of the players that had been around to adopt his style, but they came around. I mean, it, a bit of a roller coaster last season, but when they're, when they're on fire, it's amazing. I think they set a record for most shots in the game in one of the games. And, uh, so that's going to be a fun team to keep track of. You know, it's it's kind of annoying. For We were talking about it before we got on air with you, Mike, about, you know, the Premier League came out, the Bundesliga came out. They all launched their their sports early. I think MLS sort of has come out. They're the first domestic sport to come out. Have you been uh, saddened about the coverage? I mean, or the lack thereof or surprised? Just doesn't seem like you know, people I'm are, not... you know, so they're acting like the NBA is the only team in the bubble down in, in Orlando. I can't speak to that because um, I'm spending so much time, you know, following it and covering it. And I, I really haven't followed mainstream coverage of sports. So, um, you know, that is uh, discouraging, but the good thing about the modern era of media is you don't depend on the mainstream media to keep you up to date. I mean, it would be nice and it definitely deserves coverage. And now that you mentioned that it, that is disappointing. Um, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't make sense. Um, but I think I think they've done a pretty good job in, in really difficult circumstances. So um, I think so. I, you know, they had a couple of um, hiccups when uh, you had the FC Dallas situation in Nashville. Um, but the last round of testing was completely, um, you know, negative. So they're pulling it off. Um, 
you know, so I knock wood, it keeps this way. It looks like it's going to be okay. So yeah, I, I give him credit. Good. So, um, Pulisic had a big game, uh, yesterday, uh, you know, on the losing end, but, uh, we, we're starting to feel like some national team stuff going on again. You know, we're talking about Pulisic, uh, Zach Steffen at Man City. He's, looks like he's going to be the backup keeper over there. Um, I don't know how much playing time he'll get. Um, you guys have a great article in Soccer America this week about uh, your interview with uh, Burhalter. I think Paul Kennedy's interview. Yeah, um, uh, Burhalter what's, what's, addressed the press, and, yeah. and Paul Kennedy broke it down in ten, you know, ten topics in, a, in an excellent way. Um, I don't know if I, I'm assuming everybody saw the Pulisic goal and assist. Oh yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. I mean, I think you know, you keep thinking he does stuff like this every, you know, pretty frequently since he debuted, and you think, okay. Is he gonna keep doing this? And I'm at the point now where I think this is this guy is for real. This guy's for real, yeah. It's, as I mean, long that, as he stays healthy, that's the, was, the way he assisted that goal was brilliant. You know, he beat four guys. One of them fell down. Um, the turn, and then and the he shot. megged one, and he megged one too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was like a Sunday pickup game, but it was Liverpool. You know, and uh, Klopp just shaking his head because that was his boy. You know, I mean, he, he couldn't get him. It's so funny. Yeah, he gave a little smile. Um, when Pulisic first went to Dortmund and he was able to go at 16 because he got a hold of a European Union passport. So he was there younger. Um, usually you have to wait till you're 18. And uh, Klopp was still the coach and started inviting him to first team practices, especially when um, the, a lot of the first team players would go on national team duty. And at the time Dortmund had, um, you know, a lot like six, seven or whatever. So he'd come yeah. in and Klopp was a, played a big role in, in, um, you know, exposing him to the, at least the practices. I think he played in a couple friendlies and then the next season he debuted in the Bundesliga at 17. Yeah. But then when Sancho sort of stepped up, he wasn't getting as much time. I think people were very nervous when he came to the premier league, you know, Chelsea's known for sort of loaning players out. I think he surprised everybody. I, 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 I really thought do. that was going to be a, I thought that had the potential to be a disaster because they paid 73, was it $73 million? Yeah. $73 million. I mean, I still can't believe that. It's ridiculous, yeah. right? So I figured with that hanging over him, the fact that Chelsea, if a player doesn't work out, the person who signed him not there anymore, um, Chelsea doesn't care if a $70 million player doesn't pan out, if he has a few bad games. Um, and Pulisic pulled it off. I mean, I think if you look at the last seven uh, Premier League games, he, did, he missed the FA Cup semi because he was in a slight injury. Yeah, he's probably the MVP. I think he had what three goals, three assists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they Seven lost games. Yeah, they lost that last game, but that was just a uh, you know, tremendous. Wait, well, it looks like the the transfers paying off for that amount of money too. What's the thinking behind a team like Chelsea with signing Pulisic in the sense for that much money? Are they saying like the amount of jerseys they'll sell to the American market? Do they want to just have a part of the piece of the American market because Liverpool wanted them? I, I I think that may have had something to do with it, but I, you know, I, I, their ownership is obscenely rich and um, yeah, it, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. And and that, and that was, a, I mean, can you imagine being a player like that, <laughs> having that kind of money hang over you? And, uh, um, but fortunately it, it's working out. And, He's and, responded you know, well to the pressure. So Grail. Yeah, Mike. So, so clearly we've, we've established, established that politics one of the better players in on Chelsea. How do, how does Burhalter get that to translate on the U.S. men's national team? I think that that's the the question because obviously he's got the talent, but how does 
how does he kind of elevate him when he comes back to playing with players that are frankly just lesser players? Well, I'm glad you asked that because when I was when I was reading Paul Kenny's article about Bear Halter talking about how he's going to use guys like Taylor Adams and Weston McKinney, I thought of that. And this has been a this has been a problem in the past where you have, and I'm not talking about posting, I'm talking about Adams and McKinney. If you have a guy who's doing really well abroad, and in the case of McKinney, I think it's because he's a defensive midfielder. I think that's his strength. You know, Adams, I think, is a excellent player, but I consider him more of a role player. They come back to the national team, and they're they're doing so great in um, in a major league across the, in Europe. They think, okay, now I'm going to be the man here. You know, I'm going to do all kinds of stuff. McKinney's looking like he's playing center forward. He's all over the map, all over the field. Adams, are, I what I would do is I I would use them as role players. They're there to to do what Pulisic needs them to do. You know. Um, yeah. And Pulisic, I do not think, is a playmaker number 10 type of guy. Yeah. Um, he's more of someone who will strike when he has a chance. You know, he comes flying out from the midfield. Um, so I think you, 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 you use Pulisic the way he's excelled with his clubs. And you tell the other guys, you know, you guys are good, but you're not the stars. You, you, you're gonna you're gonna work you're, you're gonna work for Pulisic. Yeah, so just kind of play him. So play him on the flank, where he can cut in and go directly at guys, as opposed to playing him as a number nine because he's just not a number so nine. He's, he's yeah, much I think more effective um, coming in and like he did on that great assist against Liverpool. He's great going right at guys because he's very fast and he's got great feet. Yeah, and, and let's say during a game he thinks, okay, I, I, I want to try something through the middle or I want to go over there. He does that, and and the other guys shift around um, to make that work. Mm-hmm. Cover for him, yeah. Hey, what's the story with Darlington Nabby? Does the, the uh, Paul Kennedy's article mention that at all? Like, is it, is it a bit of a – didn't he say that originally that he wanted to spend more time with his family, didn't want to be a part of the national team? Is that what happened? Yeah, and you know, Bearhalter handled that question quite well. I, I I give him credit the way he can sometimes articulate issues that can't be that easy. So Nagby seemed to make it, you know, that he didn't want to be away from his family, didn't like traveling. Um, what Bearhalter said was, you know, they're always interested in Nagby. He just has to come around and say, "I want to play." play. You know, fair enough. I mean, yeah. So he could have easily said, Bearhalter could have said, "Hey." You should be you should be begging to play on the national team while you have this at you know, and I right. thought he handled it kind of well. Okay, you think mm-hmm. about it. Think about how you can. And I don't know the exact situation. What what made Nagby, um, re, you know, reluctant? Uh, you know, I don't know how old his kids are or anything off the top of my head. Um, but you know, maybe things change. And so I, I think Bearhalter's handling that stuff pretty well. It, it, it's going to be also a question of some of the other older guys. You know, he one one of the things he said in his address to the press was. Um, you know, he's really, it's really going to, it's going to be a young team. It's going to be the young guys he's been working with. Uh, the new young guys who are doing well at MLS is back, like uh, Akinola and uh, Muller um, from, uh, where is he, Orlando. Um, you know, the, it's too early for those guys, right? They got to see how they're doing. Um, but the younger guys, like the Americans abroad that we just talked about, um, 
you know, they're going to be what the team is going to be about. And then how many of the older guys. Right. That's what we talked about at the top of the show a little bit, Mike, we were talking about, here's this five month window that we've had now, usually players in the national team sort of drift out, drift in, bleed away and, you know, play themselves into a position and you watch it sort of happen in real time. Now this chunk of time, almost, almost a half of a year has gone by and a lot of these players are having more impact in their, with their teams. I think we're going to see a really young, kind of new look team, um, which is kind of exciting, I think. So the three players he mentioned when he was asking about the keeping older players in the mix were Tim Ream, Michael Bradley, and Josie Altidore. Right. Um, looking at those three names, I would definitely – I like the way Tim Ream plays. I, I, I think he's a, he's a good defender. Steady. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Bradley, I – he had – Bradley had a, didn't have a great game the other day, but um, – you know, he looked fatigued, uh, maybe not 100%, but I think Bradley's someone who you keep around too. Yeah. Um, I think Bradley's is an excellent player who will, you know, who can who can fill roles that, that the team will always need at this point. Uh, I'm not so sure about Altidore. I also think I rate him very highly as a player. Um, you know, he scored some fantastic goals, but he's really been struggling with injuries and stuff. And, you know, I, I think he deserves a chance to, you know, but um, it's looking less likely. And if... Uh, be interesting to keep an eye on Akinola. I mean, what he did, uh, I believe he's only 18, right? Um, yeah. You know, he would have played in the U20 World Cup, but he got hurt right before on Tab's team in France. Um, but what, he, what he's been doing the last few games is extraordinary. I mean, if he keeps that up, he's going to be a forward on the national team. Josh Shorten is, a, is, is would be the other person that we should talk about, right? Because he, But he kind of struggled at Bremen. But he also played on a, on a bad a, team. A tough team, yeah. Yeah, they no, didn't they get were, relegated. They, you know, and he's, you know, and he, Bearhalter mentioned it. Bearhalter said, you know, he didn't get the service. Um, so, you know, there's some some interesting players that that, that, that hopefully we'll see soon. So he's the type of player, uh, Sergeant, that actually could come to the national team because he has and actually play a more impactful role than he does for his club team. You know, where you're saying how it translates when you go from your club team to the to the national team. He's play. He'd play the same way, but he's he seemed to have some success with our national team. Yeah, I, you know he's he's young and he hasn't really had a run where he's, you know, scored consistently. So I'm not going to jump to super conclusions and say he's going to be a fantastic goal scorer. But when when you do watch him, I think if he gets three chances, he'll score twice. You know, he he's he's got a knack for scoring. That's pretty. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sam? Mike, continuing on this trend, I'm wondering what you make of uh, Berhalter's comments on Zach Steffen going back to Man City. And Berhalter seemed very positive about the chance to at least train there for a year. But I'm just wondering what you make of it. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it was – I, I would try to get loaned out. I, um, I don't know. You Maybe you know this better. What, what, are, what do you think his odds are of getting playing time? I, I think they're very low. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I was saying to these guys uh, up top on the show that uh, I think Man City, being the club they are, are going to go out and get a, a really proven backup keeper. Um, so, again, I just, with his injury record, you can't afford to have a backup who gets injured <laughs> because that defeats the purpose of having a backup. So, uh, again, I, I think, to me, from my, from my standpoint, it's a long shot. I like the way they play. It's actually 
you know, where they're trying to play out of the back, or they do play out of the back at Man City, where we're trying to play out of the back with the national team. So I think, that, you know, in that respect, I think it will be some good. Uh, I think it would be great for him. That's the learning. For, for I, I think yeah. it'd be fantastic for him. I just think City has unlimited money and is going to go out and get a really top-notch backup keeper. And I don't think right. Stefan. Mm-hmm. Stefan's just been injured so often too. I I think they're going to be a little scared off by that. Let, let's let's say for, for argument's sake. He's Stefan's healthy, yeah, but he's yeah. not playing in the league, and he is, I think, the best American goalkeeper. Right? I, yeah, I, I do too. Yeah. You know, you, you bring a guy in who hasn't been getting competitive games and have him start in national teams. I, I guess that's. I guess you have to be in close to the situation to make that call. Yeah, he needs I, to play. Yeah. Uh, Mike, let's talk about college. Uh, what What are your thoughts on what's going on with college? And you know. Uh, what did they say during the Obama administration? Don't uh, let a good crisis go. Uh, take advantage of a good crisis. Don't waste actually, a good crisis. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't waste a good crisis. There it is. As I we'll get it right sooner later. Way through there. Well, I sound like George Bush there, stumbling <laughs> through something. Uh, but what do you think about what's going to happen in college soccer? Because, look, for me, optimistically, I'm saying to myself, well, a lot of these football programs that are losing a lot of money, are people going to finally look at those numbers and say, you take 90% of the – you know, budget, and you don't produce any f- money. I, I, I so I did a story on Appalachian State cutting its men's soccer program. Yeah, and and I started digging into the finances, which which aren't it's not that hard to do. I'm not great at math, but you know it's all public information. What they did was atrocious. They they cut three sports that, to say they saved a million dollars when that wasn't even accurate because those teams, the soccer team, actually brings money in. Um, with tuition, because very few of the players get scholarship, right. scholarships. Um, having those extra sports also brings in some more NCAA money because of one of their sort of systems. Um, they're spending a million dollars to degrade a little hill in the end zone of their football stadium to get closer. To their, they're spending as much money on a, on a hill. Um, they're spending a million and a half on the new field turf. Uh, in a stadium that's probably not going to be used. Um, they're spending, you know, I think it's $55 million on another building in the end zone to claim that that football program benefits the school financially. I think it's completely not true. Um, and you'll hear people say, well, you know, uh, it brings alumni in it. I looked at those figures and figures of other schools in a similar situation and, and football is, is, is such a problem and it gets onto the title nine scale. And, um, you know, they, that is, you know, every once in a while or once a year that gets enforced or they say they enforce it. None of the schools come close to meeting title nine requirements. The only way they get away with it is by showing progress. Cause that's one of the uh, criteria. So they, they cut these, the, the men's sports. Fortunately, we haven't seen, um, a tidal wave of, wave of that happening, um, but it, it, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but I I'm hoping that there's some good comes of this. Uh, so Sam, you have a question? Uh, yeah, Mike, I'm wondering. I know you've been a big proponent in the past of U.S. soccer, you know, at all levels becoming more regionalized and cutting down on travel and everything. I'm wondering if you know this isn't an opportunity for soccer teams, conferences to sort of take a look at that, and you know we might get some sort of realignment going forward. And I feel like that could even help with a lot of the issues we talk about, which are, 
you know, too many games and too much travel, things like that. Um, yeah. I don't well, know at the college that. level, you have this issue where the conferences are based on football and basketball, right? Mm-hmm. I remember the old days where you had um, these sort of soccer conferences, Philadelphia Soccer 7 type of thing. And um, so schools, so I think it would help if they didn't have to align so much with the football conferences and you wouldn't have a women's volleyball team or a men's soccer team flying across the country or, or you know, right. across the coast to play a game against a team they don't really need to play because that's who the football team plays. So you're right. Um, things can be tweaked and, um, you know, adjusted in a way to, 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 to suit the programs, maybe uh, cost less money, be adaptable. Yeah, I think that's the, 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 the most important thing right now is we look, we, we, we reboot, we look at everything that's out there and have a chance to, to tweak it, change it in ways that might be better than it used to be. You know, we had uh, Billy Gazonas on last week, you know, talking about, it seemed like to me, you know, we were talking about like kind of a golden age of soccer. It seemed like there was nothing but potential back then in the late seventies, early eighties with, you know, these teams that would have, you know, sons of immigrants and some immigrants and some foreign students and, you know, some American kids in there. It's a real, real sort of American way. You know, they used to call it a foreign game. I go, there's nothing more American than this game, you know, but on the college level, you know, we were really encouraged. We'd had Sasha and Mike Noonan on, you know, talking about the split season. And, you know, typical soccer, uh, you know, just before the vote that they think they're going to get through, uh, we have this pandemic. I was laughing with some guys last night. They were talking about uh, the OJ thing. And I said, yeah, as a soccer player, I'm watching the opening of the World Cup in the United States and somehow football, <laughs> again, steals the thunder. You know? yeah. Well, what, but the, the, the thing about the uh... – spring season is that that might happen because um anyway right yeah they're canceling a lot of the fall season so um what 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 will probably happen is you're going to have soccer in the spring and maybe that works and they say okay let's keep doing this um one of the other issues that is related that i, w- I was just reminded of myself is remind myself of is in youth soccer you're going to have um an issue where the high school seasons are going to clash with uh, the club seasons because a lot of the high school seasons that were in the fall or winter are going to be moved to the spring and even into the summer they're suggesting. So what is that going to do to leagues like ECNL um, if the high school season conflicts with the main part of their season and the showcases, um, which will be interesting because, you know, uh, I think high school soccer, um, should become more important than ever at this point. Yes, high school and college soccer. So um, so a lot out there. What do you got coming up in Soccer America? What are you working on right now? Something new seems to be happening every day. Yeah, <laughs> um, I know. You know. We got the NWSL coming to, to, to championship. We got the, the MLS is back. Um, and then every day uh, checking on the issues such as, uh, you know, high school, college, and trying to figure out what's going to happen with the youth leagues, uh, you know, MLS uh, – is now in charge of youth league and we're waiting to see what's going to happen there. Yeah, I'm going to check out that article by Paul Kennedy too. That sounds uh, interesting. Gray, you had a question? Yeah, Mike, just on a, on a lighter note, um, I'd love to hear your, your observations of the, of Taylor Twelman's interview of Will Farrell. Oh, wow. On ESPN. Uh, well, that, that was on the heels of Paul Gardner's article no, on no, Taylor, no, man. Just, he went he, in, he, no, no, no. Yeah. Cause I've always given Taylor, a, uh, a little bit of guff for being a man who is uh, who can't stop talking, but in this case, he was almost rendered speechless 
by the yeah. way. Hey, wait, um, Mike and I are friends with Taylor, so we got to be careful. It's, well, no, it's okay. Just Mike, give, okay. give, give well, me your observations of that. Well, well, Kevin was referring to the Paul Gardner article where um, Taylor Twellman was saying some ridiculous things about you know violent players and, and with some yeah. weird references like kicking your kids and stuff. It was odd. Yeah, know what got into him. The Will Ferrell thing was weird because I'm a Will Ferrell to me it struck, strikes me as one of those guys where almost everything he does is funny. You know. Right. Like I even his bad movies I enjoy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was weird, huh? I mean, I didn't get it. Did you get it? I I was. I didn't make know, it through. I was. I was hey, I was, look. I was. I was embarrassed by its lack of humor, and I wanted to. I wanted the director to like just pull the plug as quickly as possible because when he put the helmet on from Talladega Nights, and then his kids. I'm assuming they were his kids. Were eating corn on the cob behind him. I was like, is this like, this is like a bad Andy Kaufman skit that has gone off the rails and is just not humorous. Kevin, hey, you look, must, look, what look, happened, uh, Kevin? You're, I got to gonna... weigh in here. Yeah, because look, <laughs> comedy isn't pretty. And when you force <laughs> this it, was it's not pretty. And when you force it, it's even, it's the worst. And I tell you, that guy has a great batting average. Uh, fantastic. The amount he of does. things he's asked to do and he does it. I, I mean, love he brought him. those, he brought those kids out um, like the, children's award you know people's awards or whatever he he did that whole little skit they were coming back from practice and he always made it funny there's it was like when they put judah freelander on fox it was horrible to watch judah's a friend of mine he knows the game inside and out but they don't respect that they don't ask him about the game and if something humorous comes out that's great what they do is they're like okay perform go perform performance monkey do do tricks for us and it's uh be funny all right right And, and will ferrell's funny and um you know, Taylor Twellman, like most center forwards, thinks he's funny, um, but he's he's not. He's not. So, but it seems like it wasn't Taylor's fault this yeah, time. Mike, I'm glad you found it as painful as I did. Yeah, it was tough to watch. I said when when humor doesn't work, but look, like I said, he's got he's got a great batting average. Oh, Will Ferrell, we, he really does. I we watched the other guys twice while we were in shelter in place <laughs> with Will Ferrell because oh, I'm such a fan and you know and so yeah it was but I guess yeah I guess that proves he's human we don't always, like, uh, we don't like always step brothers I was laughing at and my girlfriend almost broke up with me she's like you you think that's funny I'm like it's hysterical hey Taylor was re- was rendered speechless so there was a positive side to it come on I, I think between Will Farrell's performance and uh, and Paul Gardner's article that was what it, what, what it did that was a very fair article by Paul Gardner by the way and I agreed completely well, but here's the thing. I like Taylor's comments, but I noticed that the, uh, in the Premier League, if they're talking and telling a story, when they get in that attacking third of the field, they stop. Yeah. And they'll pick the story up later, maybe. Otherwise, the moment's gone. You don't continue your story while the action's happening. You know? No, so and, and actually, just yeah, like you're saying, you know, let the action speak for itself. Taylor feels an obligation to literally have not two seconds of dead air. You know, uh, he, uh, Grail always gets on Taylor and he gets on uh, Alexi. And then I got to go see these guys. Well, I, I, still, I mean, I'm just, I, I, I like Taylor. I, when Taylor first started, he did not talk this much. He just likes the yeah. sound of his voice too much. The color commentator should not talk at all when the ball is in play. I Never, know. if it were up to me. Yes. And, and right. you know, that still leaves you 30 minutes, right? Uh, the ball's only in play for about 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. When there's action, you want the play-by-play guy to tell you the name of whoever has the ball. That's what right. actually creates the drama. All the good telecasts, it's the play-by-play. It's not the color guy telling you all his opinions and you know where the, where, where the yes. center forward gets his haircut. Um, that's been a problem in American broadcasting forever. Um, I, would, I would have just one guy do it <laughs> or one woman do it. Um, right. 
the color commentator needs to just wait till the ball's out of play. Boom, boom, boom. Action starts again. Stop. Watch how many, if you watch the highlights, like goals of the week, MLS goals of the week, um, where they have five and they have the telecast in the background. Yeah. Check how many of those, the color commentator guy is still talking during the goal. While the guy's about to score. Yeah. Ruining the drama of it. Right, right, right. right. Like, oh, oh, there was a goal. I think this is where they're taking their leads from American sports broadcasting as opposed to an American taking the lead from a, a Premier League broadcast. A yeah, broadcast. I think they're trying to impress a producer who doesn't know anything about the sport, um, who, who thinks, oh, and doesn't know. Any, so when, when they're babbling on, they think, oh, this guy knows a lot about soccer. That's what he's talking about. I know. It's, it's annoying. And look, I've been talking about that since 1994. So, uh, so nothing changes. All right, man. You're hanging out. You're watching your soccer. You're, uh, you're getting through the pandemic. Um, all good? Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know. Um, so hopefully, uh, cool. Hopefully, people will start wearing masks and uh, get out. I know. Time. I think. Uh, well, I am. Um, I we posted something. I said something about my father going to the Korean War to defend this country at 17. The least I can do is wear a mask for my fellow Americans and be patriotic <laughs> in that way. So, uh, so Mike Wojtyla, great to catch up with you. Uh, Soccer America, uh, it's where we get all our information. So we appreciate you coming on and talking to us on OTB. It was, pl- it was a pleasure as always. You guys stay healthy. I'll see you soon. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, always uh, good getting caught up with Mike, guys. We can talk to him forever From about the bunker. soccer. From the bunker. And, uh, but, you know, we got to give him his props because we're on the East Coast. He's on the West. So oh, he's great. He gets up early and, uh, and does that. So, But it was interesting to talk national team MLS. You know, he said something interesting on your comment, Grail, about the – you know, the coverage, the media coverage, he says, yeah, he's disappointed, but his head's down covering world soccer and domestic soccer. So it's sort of like, yeah, he says, he yeah it's depressing to pick up your head and say, yeah, nobody else is, is following he, he, him. He wasn't as high, hyper aware of it just because he's kind of in it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I've been so disappointed. I've, it's just such an afterthought. Mm. Right. They tolerate it. Our our sport deserves better in this country. That's speaking of tolerating soccer. ESPN had an article on Pulisic, Uh, (laughs) Sam. Yeah. So we talked a lot about Pulisic today. I thought this was pretty interesting. This guy, Bill Connolly over at ESPN, um, is kind of trying to understand where Pulisic fits statistically with um, other players across Europe. And uh, he put together a a sort of formula to, I don't know, you guys can react to it however you will, but a sort of formula to pick the sort of, perfect attacking player, I guess. Um, and so he found that there are only five players across Europe uh, this season to have done the following. Uh, I'll just read them out. Um, criterion one, have played at least 1,000 minutes, average at least 55 touches per 90 minutes, attempted 35 passes per 90 minutes, taken seven touches in the opponent's penalty area, have a pass completion rate of at least 80%, average at least 0.4 goals per 90 minutes, and average at least 3.7 ball recoveries per 90 minutes. Um, and that gives us with, uh, that leaves us with only five players who are Neymar, Josip Ilicic, Riyad Mahrez, Sadio Mane, and Christian Pulisic. So wow. you can take that stat for, you know, however you want. Mahrez? Was Mahrez was in yeah. there? Yeah, yeah Mahrez. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised like a Surprise. De Bruyne, because De Bruyne plays – is a two-way player, and, and and I never think of Neymar since criteria since defending is one of the criteria. Oh, winning, winning the ball, ball back. back right? I never yeah. think of Neymar ever. Ever. Yeah. 
fight. He's still really rolling on the ground when the other team's headed the other way. for a ball. It's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, yeah, interesting. Um, Good on, for on, this, on the stats thing, and we were talking about that article earlier, one very simple stat I'd like to see added to soccer's repertoire is the secondary assist. I think they could take that from hockey, and I think that would be very revealing. The third man running. You know. Well, that would be – Sam, That would you'd have a lot of guys on uh, – Liverpool, like teams like Liverpool, where you've got backs that are passing it, you know, it's so it's the connecting pass, right? Yeah, Essentially, exactly. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a cool idea. Yeah, Jared. I don't know why they wouldn't do that. It's actually, yeah. it seems like it's. Uh... But they didn't have assists in soccer for years. They, they, they didn't acknowledge assists in soccer till maybe the last twenty years, Sam. I don't know. It's yeah. Wow. It was never a big deal. It was always an American thing. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, actually in Italy, they had the, the definition of assist was different. It just had to put an attacking player in a position to score. It didn't necessarily have to be converted. So, oh, so you could do an overlapping run, take a defender with you and get an assist. God, I would have had like a thousand assists in college if that had been the thing. <laughs> never had a guy who score. <laughs> instead of two. Exactly. I got about a thousand no, instead I've of two. I've never had anybody who could score. Damn. Yeah, that's the game, man. That's the yeah. hard part. Um, all right. So, uh, anything else, Sam, what do you got? Yeah. So I got a couple, I'm getting a little analytical on the show this week. Um, I found these rankings on the website, 538, which are, um, essentially kind of tell you the best games to watch every weekend. I feel like this is an issue we all have, which with so much soccer on TV and what do we watch? Um, basically what they do is, uh, you know, based on the importance of the match and the overall, you know, skill level of the teams, they tell you which are the most important matches to watch across, you know, the world of soccer. Um, this weekend's top pick is Leicester Man United. That's probably not a huge surprise. Is that yeah, I'm going to watch that with you. For the Champions League. Um, so, anyway, people should check that out if they, you know, need a way to pick their games. I, I thought, you know, based on that, um, I've kind of attempted to develop my own formula to discover the most entertaining team. Oh, the chemist. Um, across Europe, and uh, I'd like to share it with you guys for, you know, feedback and criticism. We, be as harsh as you as you like. I feel like we're grading a term paper. <laughs> so, someone is someone has been making their bunker time useful. <laughs> so the ring, I don't know if you guys followed this for a few years, put out something called watchability ratings, where they yes. would all the teams across Europe based on you know how many goals they scored, how many dribbles, shots, passes right. they did, trying to find the most entertaining teams. Um, which was cool, but where I felt like it came up a little bit short was like you're left with these teams like Man City and Bayern that are great to watch. They just crush everybody, you know, five nothing, which is not the most exciting. So my goal is to come up with a way to rank how exciting a team is by the amount of exciting games that they play. So not necessarily the best team, but the most exciting and I mean almost volatile, if you will. So I, I'm working Tough to quantify that. No. Yeah. Well, here, well, let's see. You guys can tell me. how. Okay. Okay. So I'm starting with the basic premise that the perfect game would be a three, two comeback win with the winning goal scored in the last 10 minutes. So I love that. that. I've established the following uh, criteria. So I have six categories. One percentage of times uh, a team equalizes when they fall behind. So they have to mm-hmm. be able to get back into a game. Two, the average number of lead-taking goals they score a game. So that's Mm -hmm. a goal that puts them in the lead, not a goal that puts them four or five goals ahead. Uh, Three, the percentage of their matches in which both teams score. Uh, Four, the percentage of their matches with three-plus goals. Five, percentage of their matches decided by one goal, but not including draws because no one likes a draw. 
Uh, and six, the percentage of games in which they score a meaningful goal, that's either an equalizer or a go-ahead goal, in the final 10 minutes, including stoppage time. And I'm putting all that together and calling it the entertainment index. That's a booyah base. So, wow, man, that's a lot of, that's wow. a lot of math. I, the I entertainment just... package brought to you by Sam. Do I have to preheat the oven to 450 for that before it bakes? I got, uh, what do you guys think a, of me? Do you have any suggestions? I like it. I like it. You know what it means, too? I love it because it means that there will never be a Jose Mourinho team that could possibly be one of the most exciting teams exciting based on teams. your criteria. Well, you see, you, actually be on, you have to be on your front foot. You say oh, I think you're, you you're going to eat your words, Grail. No, here don't you think, like, Sam, you, I think what you're proposing is a very front foot type mentality. Yeah, that's you, true. You're, it's an aggressive. You're, you're moving forward all the time. That's yeah. what I read into your system. So basically I ran the numbers for the top four leagues and anybody that's over three kind of has a good score. Um, okay. So there are only two teams in the premier league that are over three. Liverpool is one and Tottenham is the next. What? Uh -huh. This is for this whole season. This is for the entire season. Get howl it. Um, Shot down right away. Man City, is it? <laughs> Spain only has three teams. They have Barcelona, yeah. um, Real Madrid, and Villarreal that breaks. Okay, well, that's not a great surprise. Um, okay. And Italy has seven teams. Um, Sassuolo, Napoli, Lazio, Juve, Inter, Bologna, Atalanta, and Roma all break three. Um, but the I, big I swear, Grail, he, I swear, Grail, he, he looks at the stats and tries to figure out how Serie That's true, though, but Sam, but no, 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 Sam but that helps explain winner. all the goals. In, the big uh, winner. Yeah, the yeah. big winner is the Bundesliga, which is always okay. the case when I run these kind of excitement numbers. So half the team, so nine out of 18 teams in the Bundesliga are over three, and nobody wow. is below a two, and every other league has at least one team that's below a two. So, so that the all most exciting games Sam, Sam Griswold is now saying that the Bundesliga is the most exciting league in the world. I think on it for an average game, yeah. if you were to turn it on, it is, yes, yeah, sure. is the most exciting. And I uh, um, agree with the schematics. Yeah, so one, one, one thing that I thought was really interesting this year, Man City have an incredibly low um, equalizer percentage. So they only equalized this um, – this season, 0.36. Yeah, they don't play well behind. No, well, they, sco they the score first a disproportionate number of times. That's true, but when they've gone behind, yeah. they have yeah. failed to come back in games. So well, you know, it's really interesting too, Sam, is they never deviate from their system. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter where they are in the game. They don't change their play if they're down 1-0 or 2-0. They mm -hmm. still do doing the exact same thing with the belief that they will be able to score if they stay stick to their system. Mm -hmm. Are they playing yeah. the Burhalter system, Grail? Let's hope not. <laughs> um, All right, what else do you guys say? So, got right, first? Got Sam, by the way, by the way, fantastic. That was yeah, really. Yeah, you, I mean, you guys can digest this, and if you want to throw something else at me, you know, uh, go for it. I, I am busy sharpening my number two pencils right now, just in case there's a test. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. So final, finally, I got a quiz question for you. We talked about Ronaldo earlier on Monday. He scored his 50th Serie A goal, um, which made him the quickest player to get there. It also made him the first player ever to score at least 50 goals in the Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A. Prior to this, only one player has managed to score 50 or more goals in three of the top four leagues. Can you guys oh tell me who that is? And I have three clues I can give you so I can make it easier if you guys want. Yeah. Um, Stefano. 
That's no. gotta be so. Somebody who played in all three, all well, three of the top three of the four top four leagues. leagues. Okay, I'll give you clue number one. It was in the okay. Bundesliga, the Premier League, and Serie A. And it's fifty goals. Fifty goals. God, it's a lot of goals. Klinsman? No. Clue number two: This player is still playing. Oh wow! Um, wow. Still playing. Blue number three. This player yeah. plays currently in Italy. Damn. Okay, give it up, man. I think that's all I can give you. It's Edin Dzeko. For oh, Wolfsburg, wow. Yeah. Man City. And Man City, Rome. yeah. He was really good for Man City during I'm surprised that Man City let him go back in the day. Yeah, he was dangerous. He Well, he yeah, he kind of didn't. I think he actually moved out when Pep moved in. Right, because he it didn't took kind a little, of fit took a little the, while, he though. He didn't fit the mold, but yeah, he's he's always been a really good goal scorer, and he's a beast of a guy. He's a he, he's impossible to knock off the ball. Right, is that it, Sam? That Great all question, yeah, Sam. Wow, I like that one though, man. That's way a, too much. That was Sam one has been working overtime. <laughs> it was one question, but it was like uh, like Trace Lechase, like a couple of levels. Yeah, of question. So. Uh, all right, so uh, enjoy that, guys. A lot of soccer coming up. I think you mentioned the game I'm going to be watching, man. You and Chelsea Wolves. Chelsea Wolves, you'll be watching. Of course, man. I'll be. Man, it's a nail biter. We got to at least get a draw. And as you guys know, it's very difficult. You you just got to go out and try to win the game. Trying to play for a draw is impossible. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah, you wind yeah. up being on your heels and losing yeah. last minute. So, all right, yeah. guys, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Remember to like us on Facebook and Twitter and write a review. Do all that stuff. It really helps us out uh, as we move forward here on OTB. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Soccer America and Ticket IQ. For Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on OTB. 